Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. An unexpected podcast. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. It's Nathan and GJ with you today. We are bringing you really the genesis of Warhammer Fantasy in that we're talking all about Lord of the Rings and how it relates to Warhammer Fantasy, what things we might want to include from Lord of the Rings other than all of the things that are already in there, and you know what things might we not want to do that with, and what mechanics might we steal from Lord of the Rings strategy battle game, why we would put certain Lord of the Rings factions in Warhammer if we could, and just our general love for Lord of the Rings, because GGA and I just love Lord of the Rings, and we wanted to talk about it. We talked about it a little bit last time that we got together uh, in terms of who would win in a fight between Sauron and Nagash. Classic episode. If you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that one. Uh, This is kind of the sequel, a somewhat sequel to that episode. Before we do any of that, though, Let's catch up with a little news and hobby, because I feel like it's been forever and a day since we've done that. GJ, my man, start us off. What have you been up to? Oh, now I have to think back very hard about what I was doing the last time we recorded together. I have been doing some solo episodes in between, and I've also mentioned on those solo episodes some hobby progress. But these will probably air later than this one, so uh, the timeline might be a little bit off. But these past few weeks, I've been working mostly on High Elf Archers for the final month of the Gathering of Mighty Painters Challenge. I did um, 29 of the old 4th edition Monopose Archers. Uh, I was planning on doing them in several batches, but that failed. I did them all in one batch. I also painted up uh, two command groups to go along with them. I did a hero that I had planned to do the month before, but I somehow uh, did not manage to do then because I had already painted a lot of other heroes. So yeah, I've uh, been painting a lot of high elves these past few weeks and uh, past few months. And uh, that has given me a fairly decent high elf force of mostly infantry. Uh, But I think I can field about uh, three and a half thousand points now. So that's uh, all thanks to the uh, Gathering of Mighty Painters Challenge. And then I've been uh, working on some other stuff. I've been uh, undercoating some ogres. I've been putting some beastmen in the stripper jar because I I have been allowed by uh, Joshua from the Crown of Command podcast to host the second edition of the Call of the Crown Painting Challenge which is going to last for eight months, starting in October. Uh, You can still sign up. There's no limit to the number of people that can join. And uh, the rules can be found on that podcast, uh, on the Discord, on the um, podcast Facebook page. Um, But I did not know what I wanted to paint because I, of course, also want to join in in my own painting challenge. So I asked the community, and for some reason, they voted Beastman. So uh, for this next challenge, I'm going to do a Beastman army. I do have a lot of Beastman miniatures, but most of these are secondhand. And not all of them are painted to a standard that is to my liking. So 
I'm going to uh, strip those and then uh, start from scratch with those beastmen. Um, but that's uh, something for the for the upcoming months. Also want to do some terrain, but that's all uh, all for the uh, for the next few weeks and uh, not what I've been doing now. So how about you, mate? Well, I have been all over the place, but I've actually been playing more than really any time this year and doing so I think kind of in a in a fun way because every now and then we'll go out and visit my wife's parents and as I've mentioned in, on the show uh, my father-in-law is very into 3D printing uh, he's gotten into the one page rules he has a ever expanding horde of lizard men uh, that he he uses and so we'll play the skirmish one page games when I go over there because we can do them in about half an hour and, you know, we can do it while other people are doing other stuff, basically. So it's it works out really, really well. It has encouraged me to do a little bit of painting and getting warbands together. So I've gotten together a uh, demons, war demons, a uh, little skirmish force that is five or six models and and these are your demons of corn for warhammer players uh and they gave me a great opportunity to paint up some fifth edition blood letters and they are my favorite blood letters i i just love them so much they're the the very uh buff kind of classic devil-esque blood letters uh before they got really bestial and then kind of went a little scaly and lizardish these guys are are just so much fun they all have big cleft chins too which you don't super notice until you're painting them and you're just like i'm painting like a little butt on this this blood letter's head because his chin is just these giant big bulbous <laughs> things uh but they're wonderful they're wonderful models they're they're super fun to paint um i have plans for all sorts of little skirmish lists because after 20 some odd years playing Warhammer, I just have all of the models I would ever need to, to field uh, like a thousand of these, these little uh, skirmish lists. So I'm having a lot of fun putting together that and, and painting those up in my, in my spare time. And I uh, also been doing a little bit of work on my Crimson Fists for my buddy Patrick's uh, third ed 40 K city fight campaign. And Fingers crossed, we actually might all get to play tomorrow. Uh, we've been doing it kind of as a group thing where we we get in two games and uh, they're small games. At first, they're 750. We've escalated it now to a thousand points. So you can get two games in in a morning kind of thing. And that's what we've been doing. Haven't played since June, though, unfortunately. Uh, but we are going to play tomorrow. So that'll be a lot of fun. And yeah, it's. It's been kind of a hectic summer, all sorts of weirdness going on, but if somehow, in some way, I've actually been able to play more in the summer than I, I had when I was going to school, despite being, I think, just as busy. So I, I, uh, I'm going to count my lucky stars so far for, for a hobby in the last little while. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, GJ, before we get on to our main topic here, I got to ask you, because, I mean, Beastman fantastic I, i'm so glad you're you're doing uh call of the crown i'm always so impressed by the armies people do and they're they're always so nostalgic and fun how how big 
of an army uh, do you have to put together for this? The minimum size is uh, 1,000 points. I've, uh, I had planned on doing only 2,000 point armies, but then I got some feedback from the community when I was basically when I was polling is that interest in doing some uh, a challenge like this. And then some said, well, I do want to join, but 2,000 points in eight months is just not going to be feasible for me. So then I made it so that people can uh, join in several tiers. You can join with uh, 1,000 points, 1,500 points, or 2,000 plus. And uh, those tiers are called leisurely, competitive, and fanatic, uh, respectively. <laughs> and you're even allowed to enter multiple tiers uh, with multiple armies. You don't have to field a complete functioning army. You can just add some units for, to one army, some units to another army. Um, it doesn't have to be a... Uh, a complete standalone list is, can also be... Uh, you don't even have to field legal units if you, for example, want to paint three skinks for some reason to, to buff out a unit that you already have. Uh, yeah, you're allowed to do that. It's also going to be... Uh, you're allowed to do any edition, even the fan-made oh. ones. It's, it's going to be very inclusive. Um, yeah, and I've, I've gotten um, a lot of positive response so far. I believe about... Uh, a dozen people, uh, maybe some more, have already sent me their pictures and, and army lists. Uh, about twice that number have shown interest in signing up. So that's, uh, yeah, I still have a couple of months before we start, but uh, the ball is rolling and people are already getting excited for it. Nice. So that's, How should uh, they reach out to you if, if they want to? Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, my my profile is uh, well, my name Gertjan van Heugde, which is uh, probably impossible to find, but you, you can find a post print in, uh, pinned in the Crown of Command podcast community, or uh, if you're in the War Games Orchard Facebook group, just uh, click my name. I'm also in there somewhere. Um, or you can uh, send a list through Discord uh, in the Crown of Command group there's a channel devoted to the painting competition you can also send a direct message uh yeah basically uh any way you can you can think of to reach me uh, i will accept your list the only thing i'm not doing is putting out my email address there because well yeah that's uh, y- you never know what uh, people might pick up mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. other than that um yeah also on instagram by the way uh, though I don't check that too often, uh, but I'm also on Instagram, GJ's Workshop. So uh, plenty of ways to reach me or otherwise just send an email to the show. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, that'll be so much fun. You, you've you got me thinking about that Nagash you sent me and I have a handful of skeletons. I'm like, Nagash and a handful of skeletons might be a 1500 point army. <laughs> like That's manageable. <laughs> I can I can spend seven months painting the gash and then <laughs> use the last month to paint up uh, to, to quickly the dry brush the, some, uh, yeah, some white on the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, All that's right. so cool. I, I'm gonna hold you to that, mate. Oh no! Oh no! He's signing me up here, <laughs> live on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I I think that'd be fun. I I recently uh, got some of the classic skeleton horsemen from fourth ed 
Oh, awesome. And so now I've got I've got like a unit of 10 skeletons, a unit of five skeleton horsemen, and Nagash. <laughs> I'm just like, this is <laughs> this is definitely a reasonable army for someone to have. That's an army but right I wanted, there, yeah. I wanted him to have some friends, right? Like, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't have an undead army. So I was just like, you know, you need, you need some buddies. You need something to raise with all that necromantic power. Um, yeah, so that, that sounds wonderful. I do uh, say for anyone who, who hasn't checked out the uh, the Call of the Crown contest before, it's it's super cool. You get so many fun entries. It's neat to follow people's progress. Like, it's just a fun little thing to do on Facebook. And everyone always seems so uh, supportive and, and everything. I'm, I'm super glad that you're keeping it going and expanding it, too, which is really cool. Because I think in the past, it's just been kind of Hero Hammer-esque, right? Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, and uh, uh, well, I I, I talked to uh, to Josh about this, and uh, he said, yeah, I might just do it uh, any way you like. Um, and, and he's just letting me use his brand. Uh, it was basically, I, I came to him and I said, Josh, I want to do a painting challenge. Uh, can I call it uh, Call of the Crown Part 2? And he said, yeah, I might go for it. Nice. So uh, we oh, had some awesome. uh, some some uh, Facebook contact back and forth, and then uh, he uh, he interviewed me about it uh, last week. So I think that's going to be going to be airing soon on the um, Crown of Command podcast. Um, just just a little bit of the basic info and everything. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's see. I've uh, yeah, like I said, I've gotten a lot of positive responses here. I think this is. Uh, really something that the the greater community has been looking forward to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm looking forward to seeing your beastman i want to see tuscores so many tuscores you need to load up on chariots i just love them i'm they're gonna do like, chariots yeah they're big boars where they get all the horns and stuff they always look so grumpy like they just <laughs> i i like them um yeah so that'll be that'll be so 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 cool All right, let's move on to our main topic today, and that is The Lord of the Rings. We're talking about how it relates to Warhammer and just kind of playing with the setting a little bit. And and, uh, I've got some questions here for the two of us, and we're just going to go through them and have a little discussion like we did on the last duo podcast that we did. So, GJ... I got to ask, and this is a hard question. I'm starting off maybe with the hardest question. What is your favorite part of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? And by part, I mean, it can be part of the setting. It can be a character or characters. It can be a faction, a race. Just what what speaks to you more than other things in this wonderful series? It is indeed a, a difficult question, but I think one of the ways in which the books uh, set themselves apart from most other fantasy is the number of uh, excellently written poems and songs in there. Mm. And uh, while several of those songs, especially those in The Hobbit, have been adapted to be used in the movies, um, I was a little bit saddened when in the beginning of the two towers, Sam didn't stand up and recite his uh, his Oliphant uh, rhyme, but I think one of my favorite poems is the uh, the Strider riddle uh, that uh, the the hobbits are finding is left in the letter to, uh, for Frodo that Gandalf left him in Bree, 
and uh, that uh, it contains a poem about uh, all that is gold does not glitter and uh, it basically describes uh, Strider who is not very um, more, let's say pleasant to look at uh, he's a bit common but turns out to be this uh, very noble um, almost uh, Arthurian king the uh, the the prime example of what a what a king should be that's a great answer that's so much fun this the songs and the poems and and to give a little context to our listeners one of the big reasons i wanted to do this podcast is that i was recently stuck in the emergency room of the local hospital for about 22 hours <laughs> and during that time i i took the advantage of reading the Hobbit. And for I had forgotten just how much I, I love that book and how much fun it is. And it, it really is just, it's that it is my favorite book of the series. Uh, it's, it's just a, a fun little adventure. and it, It's written in such a pleasant way. But some of the things that stick with me the most are the, the poems and the songs. So the book's just littered with them, right? They're, you know, the, the dwarves singing, um, about cracking Bilbo's plates and and, <laughs> and all of the things that he hates uh, while they're while they're in his his little hobbit hole. Uh, the goblin songs, the goblin songs, fantastic. The, the fifteen birds in five fir trees. Uh, you know, there's so much that is just so rich about all of that. And you, there's so much. I feel like joy and 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 love kind of went into to that. I think that's a great answer, GJ. Um, it's, Thanks. yeah, I want to say for myself, my favorite part is probably the geography, which is a little weird. Uh, I've always been kind of a map guy though. I really enjoy looking at maps and, and finding little places and imagining the things that might've gone on there. And of course it, with Lord of the Rings, you never have to really imagine because Tolkien, uh, created basically an entire functioning history of this world. So whatever you're looking at, chances are something crazy's happened there. But I've always just really enjoyed, especially with things like the the Hobbit and and uh Frodo's journey, that you can you can trace them on a map and you yes. can see and and with some maps, right, it'll give you like the little dates where they crossed certain things, they did certain things. It gives you this this whole new way to enjoy this journey and, and picture it in your head. And I always thought that was a really great thing about, especially The Hobbit, because you have these wonderful set pieces like the Misty Mountains, Mirkwood, Lonely Mountain. And they're all these kind of little worlds and adventures onto themselves. But it all comes back to the geography of the place, right? Lonely Mountain, Erebor, this this one standing huge mountain. And the geography works itself so beautifully into the stories, right? You have the 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 dark canopies of Mirkwood with its spiders and its elves and the the misty mountains full of goblins. It's like everything is so interwoven, but the geography just seems to really be a standout part for me. And I've always just loved it. Um, I, I thought it was such a strong way to, to create and to, to tie in this world and make it feel so real was, was to, to have these beautiful set pieces. 
it, it's funny too the the hobbit always reminds me of another fiction kind of uh serial that i i really enjoy and that's tintin and, and because they have similar pacing, right? The, the Hobbit is very, it's a very punchy book, right? You go from, from one set piece to another set piece to another, and each one has its own adventure. Each one's a little bit self-contained, not entirely, but a little bit self-contained. And it doesn't waste your time with a lot, which is one thing I love about The Hobbit and one thing I hated about The Hobbit movies. Uh, <laughs> but The Hobbit really, like, it's it's going. Like, we we don't learn a lot about any one particular thing like for the the wood elves right of course you learn a lot more about them in the lord of the rings than you do in uh the the hobbit right you but it doesn't really matter like the wood elf king is just the wood elf king because that's for bilbo like that's all that really matters in the dwarves is that he's the king of the wood elves throw him in jail and, and it, it doesn't wine. really love, yeah love <laughs> and the wood elves <laughs> like their wine uh but it doesn't stop you and, and and go into that kind of uh that big backstory and Tintin is another series that I, I find does that really well right he's, he, he's always off having these adventures and he changes these set pieces very rapidly but my brain loves that for some reason and uh and and a, a lot of it is is yeah those geographies those exciting places right if Tintin Tintin's having an adventure in Egypt or Bilbo's having an adventure in Markwood I always enjoy the the switches in geography and how that plays into the story and what challenges those bring to the characters and the protagonists so yeah i think that's i think that's mine um although you might be able to tell that i i just love everything about this yeah. series <laughs> there are basically no wrong answers there is no, no wrong answer. uh, yeah when you mentioned geography i was uh, my mind went to the uh uh, the lineages in the appendices where you have the the line of the elves leading to to Elrond and uh, uh, the the different lineages of the hobbits and then all the kids that they are getting after the books are finished and uh, the line of Durin and, and everything that's uh, yeah so well thought out um, yeah it's uh, there's really no wrong answer uh, but what you did what you said about the geography and the landscape. I'm when my my second kid was born, uh, which is a little over a year ago. I was on uh, night duty, uh, as in that my wife in the evening she went to bed to get some much needed sleep, and I would then stay up with my kitty and uh, give her a bottle in uh, basically usually at uh, at two a.m. or thereabout. And I would kill my time by watching uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and also the Hobbit trilogy, because even though the book is better than the films, I still like the films and you can hate me for that. Uh, but I also watched the appendices, which I had not done in a long time and definitely not for all of the, all of the movies. And in one of these appendices, they said that the locations and the, the world, the setting in general was like uh, another actor, was like another another character. And that's basically what I hear you describe here when you're mentioning uh, the geography. That's a great point, yeah. Yeah, it is It is a character in its own right. It's It's got its own quirks. It's got its own uh, idiosyncrasies and its own, you know, dangers and motivations and things. And yeah, that's, oh, that's a great quote. Yeah. I've I have never explored beyond the movies themselves, so it'd be really neat. I know there's like a, a, a 
thousand hours of of extra footage that for at least for the Lord of the Rings, right? That that you can yes. go in depth and and really dive into. That'd be a lot of fun someday. And uh, look, I, I won't hold it against you that you that you enjoy the the Hobbit. I actually enjoyed the first movie a lot. I thought it was really really good. It was just it was the second movie and then the third movie really made me upset. But um, but we won't hold that against you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So Warhammer, uh, in, in case anyone doesn't know this, Warhammer borrows heavily from Lord of the Rings. Uh, you could say maybe uh, kind of based itself on, on the, the Tolkien uh, tropes and then found ways to, to later uh, distinguish itself from it. But even in its kind of latest incarnation, right, even, even as late as like 8th edition end times, you still see so much of that that Tolkien influence, those tropes, that that kind of classic Tolkien fantasy. My question is, what of the borrowed tropes, the, the things that Warhammer really lifted from Lord of the Rings, do you enjoy? And is there anything that you maybe don't? Um, well, this question is if possible even more difficult than the first <laughs> <laughs> um yeah let's see i think the 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 one that i like the most is the enmity between elves and dwarves that uh that's the Good one answer. that tolkien also wrote and and uh even for those who never read the books but watch the movies uh, it's still a thing. Elves and dwarves were friends in the past, and then um, something happened, and they they sort of got out of touch, and and that's what's uh, what's also going on with the War of the Beard. Uh, I think that's a, a theme that's both exciting because it creates tension, and also sad because this bond this friendship has been permanently damaged across uh, many 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 generations great answer yeah where are you going with beards all a wagon that's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. parts of the hobbit where they go down to uh, rivendell and the elves are just making fun of them yes <laughs> just, they're just having a great time yeah. man elves in lord of the rings always seem to have a great time um I mean, unless they're in battle against like orcs and, and you know, the minions of Sauron, but like they, they really do seem to know how to enjoy themselves. Yes, that's a that's a really good answer. That that classic relationship between dwarves and elves. And I know they came to conflict sometime. I feel like it's in the second age in Lord of the Rings or something. There was some kind of there was some kind of strife there and they've kind of had this enmity between them. Uh, but then as that translated to Warhammer and what they did with that eventually with with the lore behind the lore, uh, the War of the Beard and everything that, that happened to kind of weaken the elves and the dwarves kind of before the, the coming of, of man. It's really, really good. It's, it's really and it, it speaks to, I think, one of the, the things that the Games Workshop writers kind of recognized with. Tolkien elves and Tolkien dwarves was they are very flawed in their own way both of both of those races and they could easily come to conflict through misunderstanding and through pride and and jealousy and and all of those 
kind of, of, of things that you would think the elder races should be above, but they're really not at all. Um, yeah, I think that's a great, great answer. For myself, I, I really enjoy most of the, the things that the, the Tolkien setting kind of brought over to Warhammer, but there's one thing that kind of got me it's not even like it's it's a very small pet peeve and that was kind of this idea of the the fading of the elder races like the fading of the elves and the fading of the dwarves and i know that goes to make warhammer more grimdark and and tolkien had a very good reason as well in in his writings but where where tolkien you know the elves kind of they go to the undying lands and um the dwarves have just had a rough show of things in Warhammer, it always felt just a little bit forced to me because you you had these, especially with the elves, like the, the dwarves, of course, had, had a really rough time with, with just about everything, right? They have the, the exhausting war against the elves and then the Skaven um, accidentally blow up the Dwarven Empire with their, their uh, tunneling machine and, you know, then orcs and goblins and, and all sorts of things, right? The, the dwarves are in really dangerous areas where they live. The elves in Ulthuan, like, it seems like they're just like, they're dying because Games Workshop writers wanted them to, as opposed to, and I know there's been the kin strife between them and the dark elves, but at the same time, you're you're kind of on the best real estate of the Warhammer world, right? Especially and the inner kingdoms. Especially the inner kingdoms, right? You don't even have really like the Norris longships to worry about. It always just felt a little bit forced to me, and and especially where the, the dark elves don't seem to have that problem, right? There's always going to be enough dark elves to cause mischief, despite the fact that by eighth edition, if you read the eighth edition rulebook, they're just killing each other constantly, and for almost no reason, which is one of the things that really bugs me about the eighth edition rulebook because it, it really doesn't make sense to have any kind of functioning society that does that. But Again, grimdark got a grimdark. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be, I think that'd be the trope that gets on my nerves. So for something that I really like though, is, is honestly most of, most of the stuff that got imported. And even just the fact that they took all of, pretty much all of the, the Tolkien-esque creatures and races, and then just, just made them their own. Like, I like the fact that there are halflings in Warhammer. I, they're not very good at anything and they're definitely awful like they're they're nothing like hobbits if, if you read their lore they're they're nasty little things uh that will eat you out of ho house and home and steal anything that's not nailed down but i i still like that they're there and i like that about elves and dwarves and orcs and, and everything right yeah i think if there's something that i don't like in uh warhammer which is in lord of the rings is that there is no real um sense of evil fearing the light like uh goblins and orcs they don't want to travel by daylight trolls turn to stone in warhammer you don't have that problem um orcs can just uh, march under the sun they've even got the sun as as their emblem the the red sun um i think it, the orcs in lord of the rings they feel a little more pure evil and in warhammer they are just like uh yeah goofy teenagers uh vandalizing bus stops or middenheim 
<laughs> yeah, there's there's a real hooliganism about the orcs in Warhammer. And they're certainly sinister, but you're right. There's there is a lack of of evil to them in a way, right? Like they certainly do evil things, but you get the more sense of like it's just cuz that's what they do, right? The yes. orcs in in Lord of the Rings were always just like they reveled in suffering and 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 causing pain and and you know just doing awful things right like torturing people right like they love that they're they're all sorts into that yeah that's a really good point and yeah but you got to leave some some hobbies for the dark elves yeah <laughs> that's true um yeah and nothing yeah nothing really fears the light save for vampires and they always have some kind of like wave away you know they bring the clouds with them or whatever kind of yeah. thing right bring the darkness with them that's a really good point that's not something that i had thought of before it always does seem like the forces of good in warhammer fantasy are really on the back foot right they're never they're never really winning um no. i mean as evidenced by the end times but yeah in lord of the rings it almost feels like there is more of this this kind of duality where the light or the, the good is maybe more on top than the evil, but the evil is always there under the surface and is always, is that always that danger, right? And it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's always, creeping. Uh, always yeah. festering. And then it's sometimes <laughs> it pops out and then uh, the good have to band together again and, and defeat it. And then uh, yeah, it starts festering again. Yeah. It, it almost feels like in Warhammer Fantasy, it, it like it's always just that that matter of time, right? You look up to the north and you're just like, boy, I hope they don't, uh, I hope they don't invade in my lifetime, right? Like, I hope, yeah. I hope the world doesn't end in my lifetime because it's gonna end. Um, yeah, and I get, I, I get that that's what they were going for, the 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 writers in Warhammer Fantasy, right? Like, it was always kind of a inevitable thing that that one day chaos you know they were going to march down from the north and and everything was going to end in, in blood and death and um but i guess that it speaks to a, a larger difference in the the properties in that warhammer has more of a even though it is is high fantasy it has more of a low fantasy attitude i want to say than than lord of the rings lord of the rings you you had this theme of things playing out over and over again and each time they were slightly diminished yeah. so you have morgoth begets sauron and sauron isn't morgoth and like as the ages go on you know ma the magic kind of drains and the you know things just kind of replay themselves but it's always to a less grand scale than those first early days of the world and in warhammer you get a little bit of those themes with kind of like the elder races, right? Where the dwarves are just like, oh, we can't make the runes we used to. And the elves are just like, we can't make babies like we used to. But at the same time, it it doesn't see like it it doesn't have all of those themes because like magic in Warhammer doesn't really ever go away. And sometimes, depending on how the winds are blowing, right? You you get those those crazy storms and stuff. It's it's not it's not diminishing, it's just getting darker. I think yes. is the the Warhammer one as opposed to the uh, the Middle Earth one, but it's interesting to compare them in that way. Yeah. All right. Here's where we get into the more kind of speculative Warhammer business. If you could add 
one of the Tolkien races or factions to Warhammer Fantasy, what would it be? You could also replace a faction if you wanted to. Uh, no, I don't think I want to replace a faction um, because I like uh, the factions the way they are. Uh, I think if I were to add something, it would be uh, something like the the Woses, uh, Ganburi Gan, these um, blowpipe wielding primitives. Uh, maybe put them on Albion. I, I know that the Warhammer Armies project has some of those kinds of warriors uh, placed on Albion. Um, yeah, something like that. Uh, people fighting with with uh, with sticks and uh, and bow and arrow and and wooden shields um of course uh, a lot of magical war paint and um actually doing something useful oh my god i want to see them fight savage orcs it's just a just a lot of naked a lot of naked guys <laughs> on a battlefield <laughs> some of them are green <laughs> Oh, that's a great, oh, I would never have thought of them in a hundred years if you had told me. I, it even took me a moment to be like, who are they again? And then I remembered. But yeah, that is a wildly good pick. I love the idea of, yeah, that that kind of more primitive aspect that you don't really get outside of Savage Orcs. And no. maybe kind of the Lizardmen. Um, yeah, that's really, really cool. I love that. So what would your pick be? So this is the sad part because I, I wrote this question. I've been thinking about this the whole time and I'm still kind of going back and forth here. Part of me honestly loves Gondor a lot. I really want to add Gondor in somewhere. And I know it doesn't make any sense, but I, I just love, I love the aesthetic of Gondor. I think more than I love any other kind of human fantasy aesthetic. I just think they look so good. I don't know where you would stick them. And I don't know how you would you would write them into the the setting at all, but I always I kind of like something that is a little bit more, I guess, nobler um, than say the Empire, but not as like knightly themed as as Bretonia. Like I, I think they fit in a, in kind of a good niche between the two where you don't have, you don't have the high technology of the empire. You don't have the, the like the classic, like medieval aesthetic of, of Bretonia, but what you have is kind of, you know, human, human soldiers in, in heavy armor with shields marching to battle. You have like a wide array of, of different kind of unit types. You have a kick-ass aesthetic and you just kind of like, more noble and kind of hopeful i want to say than than like some of the the warhammer fantasy human uh factions and i just kind of like that as a as an aesthetic right because I, I don't think you've got that in warhammer fantasy kind of past before the tomb kings become the tomb kings right you're gonna get that with the the original nekaharans where they were they they were a little bit more i want to say kind of 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 noble and uh and maybe civilized before, you know, the whole Nagash thing. And I, I, I kind of like that. I, and I really just love the models and the aesthetic and, and everything about Gondor. I just like them. Yeah, good choice. I would never have thought of adding, like, another human faction. 
Yeah, so, well, it's, uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, well, you, you kind of did. <laughs> I kind of did, but they, yeah. they are they are special humans. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good choice, um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Speaking of humans, as we do, how are, when we think about human representation in Lord of the Rings and then in Warhammer, Warhammer is a very stylized setting and, and the humans don't always act in the way that you kind of might expect right as far as the stories go and the the lore goes and and choices that are made who do you think represents humans better in a fantasy setting is it is it kind of the 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 wild craziness of warhammer fantasy or is it lord of the rings that gives us kind of a more i want to say diverse view of humans but you also you know where you have you have the 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 wicked humans in in Umbar or or Harad or the Easterlings. You have the more noble kind of humans in Gondor. You have the more wild but still kind of noble esque uh, Rohirrim, and 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 then you have the humans that that inhabit like Bree and and you know the kind of the more classic kind of medieval stuff. Uh, who who does it better, and what do you what do you prefer? Uh, that's a good question. I I don't really feel that we can honestly compare them uh, because the settings are quite different. And by that, I mean that even though in both universes you have good and evil humans, um, in the Warhammer world, you also have humans that have been corrupted by the powers of chaos which is something that lord of the rings is missing Mm -hmm. and in that way i think that um they both represent humanity fairly well with the differences although maybe yeah the cultural differences are uh, if you compare it to the real world uh, which is of course not what you ask but if you compare to the real world then you see many differences within a culture. And you would, for example, see uh, Gondorian troops refusing to fight or or joining up with Sauron uh, because they are fed up with the system of government, something like that. And that's, of course, where we have a fantasy setting where you can have a uh, an external evil race like the orcs that come and get you and that don't care about uh, who you are as long as they can kill you. Uh, that's something that we are missing in this world, which is why humans have all that time to uh, fight amongst themselves. Um, but now I'm, I'm sidetracking myself. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I stand by my answer that it's, it's, uh, I think it's too difficult to compare them and okay. uh, maybe you can convince me otherwise. So yeah. I'm really I mean, curious what your answer is going to be. For for me, I think Lord of the Rings paints, if, if not maybe a more idealized uh, version of humanity, certainly one that's maybe makes decisions in a more thought out kind of rational way. Like even the ones that, you know, are are very famously uh, kind of going off the chain, like like Denethor. You know, it, when you read the book, you you get more of a sense of like, wow, he's he's been kind of battling Sauron almost on his own for 
for years and trying to stop his influence and stuff. And it's, you know, it's, it's breaking him. And so sometimes like that is, it's a little bit more easy to understand the decisions that some of the characters make, I think in Lord of the Rings than in Warhammer Fantasy. And that just goes back to the fact that Tolkien was an absolute madman for, for, you know, building out his lore and, and making sure his characters had motivations that went back 15 generations. Right. But for Warhammer, you raised a really good point about the chaos gods. And the Chaos Gods are kind of your wild card that that make it so you really maybe can't compare the settings because the the evil in the Warhammer world isn't that passive evil that that kind of lurks in all men's hearts, if you will. It's more of a, oh, like, you know, the, the Chaos Gods sometimes might actually just speak to you, right? Like they might actually take an interest in your your existence and then you're in trouble, right? You You might be tempted by a demon. That can happen. You know, um, so I think you make a good point there. So I think, yeah, maybe we can't, maybe we can't say who does it better because of those, those differences, right? And the fact that the Warhammer world is, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's a world gone mad, right? With, with the influence of these gods. So let me, let me rephrase, maybe not rephrase, but let me ask you a, a somewhat related question. Who would you rather serve if you were forced to serve? Would you rather serve the Dark Lord Sauron or one of the Chaos Gods? You can pick your god if you go with the Chaos Gods. Ooh. Well, when, when talking about serving, I'm more of a good guy. So I was uh, hoping you'd make me choose between uh... Aragorn and Karl Franz, um, <laughs> which would have I been would Aragorn, Aragorn uh, because, every day yeah. of the week. Every day. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think I would settle for one of the chaos gods, although okay. I don't know which one. Yeah. Um, because while well, Sauron is just pure evil, and the chaos gods you mentioned already, they are a wild card, and that can be beneficial, even though the chances are not that big. Mm. Um. And yeah, well, of course you have uh, Nurgle, who is affectionately being called Papa Nurgle because he he takes care of his offspring. Uh, so there is, I think, may, maybe even a little bit more compassion with the Chaos Gods than there is with Sauron. Ah, yeah, could be. And I mean, if you're looking for you know ways to be sort of a good guy, chances are. If you're in the Warhammer world and you serve the Chaos Gods, you're probably up north fighting the champions of other gods. So, you know, unless yeah. unless you get really unlucky and, you know, Arcan comes and says, hey, buddy, we're going south. You're, you're probably only fighting <laughs> other other damn That's souls, a good point. Right? So, yeah, that's uh, yeah. so. So instead of um, increasing goodness by uh, by being a good soul yourself, you're increasing the world's goodness by removing other evil souls yeah addition by subtraction yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh look at the look chaos champions being the good guys again that's what i've been saying for years no one believes me they're not evil they're just misunderstood just misunderstood yeah yeah, that's certainly not true. But <laughs> <laughs> I I would also choose, I think, the Chaos Gods. I, I think it'd just be more fun. You know, Sauron's really into the whole slave labor thing. And 
And all of his minions always seem so like just downtrodden and nasty and depressed. Maybe, I, I don't know, you don't see a whole lot of like the human kingdoms that, that Sauron controls, right? Like, like you don't really see much of Harad or, or the Easterlings. But I, I'm going to guess that they're probably not super happy about the whole situation. So, yeah, give me give me the Dark Gods any day. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So we're both at least sort of passingly familiar with the Lord of the Rings. And I guess now it's called the, the Middle-Earth strategy battle game. Um, and ostensibly, allegedly, rumor has it that someday we may get a uh, new Warhammer fantasy game called Warhammer the Old World. We'll believe it when we see it. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to kind of steal from Lord of the Rings from, from the game or, uh, you know, for, from any kind of Lord of the Rings S type of thing to add to the old world? Yeah, well, uh, there is, but then it would also make it a little bit less like the Warhammer we all know and love. Okay. Um, well, but one of the things when I when I started with Lord of the Rings, I never played it very intensively. I, I only got the uh, the Battle Games in Middle Earth magazines, and those were my main source for the rules. And I played through some of these scenarios with a uh, uh, with a friend from college. And um, fun fact, because all of the uh, ladies that liked Lord of the Rings that we knew were completely enamored with Legolas, we made it our mission that no matter who was playing on what side or what the actual objective of the mission were, if Legolas was in it, he had to die. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's basically most of what I played. And, and what I do like about that game is... Uh, the the scenarios i like that more than the whole free play if i want to go free play i'll just go uh, build a list with, with warhammer miniatures um I, with a lot of rings i just prefer to uh, to play the scenarios that you get in the movies or maybe some what if scenarios there were a lot of those in the books and that's what i liked about them but what I liked about Lord of the Rings as a game uh, over Warhammer was the way that the turn worked. In Warhammer, you have player A plays his entire turn and then player B can respond at some point. You can uh, declare charge reactions, you can maybe stand and shoot, you can uh, dispel spells, you can fight back when you're in combat, but that's it. And in Lord of the Rings, you have uh, first you decide who has priority for that round. And then the person with priority first moves all of his troops. And then the other person moves all of his troops. And then the person with priority gets to shoot. And then the other person gets to shoot. And then you get to fight. And then the other person gets to fight. So it's it's more back and forth. And with Warhammer, especially with large games, uh, you can just... Um, let your opponent move everything while you go like uh, get a cup of coffee or, or, or do some grocery shopping, uh, <laughs> uh, take a bath, uh, whatever, uh, have a nap. And then when, when, when you need it, uh, yeah, read a lot of rings, <laughs> <laughs> cover to cover. And then uh, at some point uh, it's, it's going to be your turn and then you're doing all the things while your uh, opponent is uh, sitting back and relaxing and re reading a lot of rings. So, that that whole system of going back and forth uh, of, of um, 
keeping you on your toes a bit more. And and I know Man of War has that too, but Man of War has you first activate one of your own squads and then you do everything with that squad. So uh, you move, you shoot, you fight, and then your opponent gets to activate one of his squads and do everything with those. So that's also a, a, a way to do it, but then you just go unit by unit. And that way, if you have, for example... Um, uh, Skaven versus Ogres, then the Ogres are done before the Skaven are halfway through their units. So I think that uh, um, going face by face, so uh, first player A moves, then player B moves, etc. I think that would be a, a good way to do it, to keep the game interesting for both parties. I'm so glad you mentioned that because... Now I don't have to because you explained it brilliantly. And that was that was one of my main takeaways too. I love alternate activation. Having played a lot of one-page rules in the last little while, I really don't want to have to go back to, <laughs> to you go, I go. Because of all those reasons you said, right? Sometimes it takes absolutely forever. And it's it, not so much in small games, but if you're playing 2,000 plus points, absolutely. I think that is a tremendous takeaway. Um, yeah, 100%. The things that I would want to borrow from Middle Earth strategy battle games kind of relate a little bit to the the various skirmish modes. And you mentioned that you, you enjoyed kind of the scenario play. And that is, I think, where that game really shines. Yeah. And it's got a lot of really good scenarios too, both scenarios from the books and scenarios from the movies and all sorts of stuff. You can, you can find, God, that oh, it's been like 20 years since that game came out. That's, oh boy. But anyway, you play a lot of scenarios is what I'm trying to say there. The, what I wanted to mention was something that is a little bit more in kind of how the game is designed. Firstly, for whatever game we get for, for Warhammer, the old world, I want a skirmish mode. You know, so many times now I could play, you know, two or three skirmish games in the time it takes for a larger game. And it's just, it's so hard to to organize those larger games, right? It's so much easier to be like, oh, hey, one page rules, 30 minutes, eight models, go. And I love that about Lord of the Rings, even if you're playing something that's kind of like a full-size Lord of the Rings game, which I think is 750 points, if I'm remembering. It's not a ton of guys. And I want a good skirmish section. It should be it should be part of the game, right? Like that should yeah. be your your gateway, your gateway drug to get you hooked so that you can you can play those bigger games. Alternating activations, hundred percent. I'm so into it. The other thing is, and this is very specific to my uh, the way that I discovered middle earth strategy battle game which was through the battle company's uh rules which was actually the last time i was in my local games workshop there was kind of a club that did these battle companies and, and what it was is kind of a uh mordheim-esque necromunda-esque strategy thing where you have a warband and your warband gains experience and and does fun things ran into the same trouble that most of those gw skirmish games run into which is this kind of cascading of power for the lists you know if someone wins two or three games and then their their warband gets so good that you can't really touch them but other than that uh it had a really good element in having 
just a ton of different factions and options for these for these smaller skirmish games. So I, I made up a thing that was Creatures of Mirkwood, which was giant spiders and wargs. It was fantastic. It was silly. It was fun. And it's not a, a faction that exists in the larger game. But it because you're you're playing kind of this skirmish version, you can you can dial in and, and have these these little fun factions. And there's like, you know, four different types of orcs that, that you play out, like Mor- Moran and orcs, Mordor orcs, uh, the Uruks and, and everything. And each one plays differently during this skirmish game. And I would love, love, love to see that for Warhammer the Old World. If you're going to have a, a kind of a smaller option for games, if you're going to have that skirmish mode give us, you know, dial in, give us uh, Dwarf Slayers, give us uh, Elven Seaguard, give us uh, Minlanders, right? Like really, really dive into your setting and allow us to to have fun with like crazy themes and very, very specific lists and models and things. So that's that's what I would love to see. That's on my wish list. And and what I'm kind of wishing for, maybe just like a totally different game than Warhammer <laughs> the Old World. Because I have a feeling that it won't be anything like that and won't have a skirmish function. But if it does, that's that's what I want to see. Yeah, 6th edition Warhammer Fantasy and More Time both did that very well. Uh, especially More Time with all the different war bands, uh, all the official ones and the, the, the ones from Downcryer and then all the fan-made <laughs> ones. Uh, there are some really fun warbands in there, like uh, uh, like the Pit Fighters, which is basically just any race, and uh, they're all dressed like gladiators, and they've got these special Pit Fighter weapons, and uh, there's a, an ogre gladiator in there, and uh, so some skink and dark elf, um, what are they called, the chasers or something, the the like the. Uh, um, Ooh, what's it called when you have like a uh, when you have a music concert and then you have a band before the main act? Oh, like an opening act. Yeah, uh, uh, like a... yeah. Uh, is that what's called? Uh, I, I feel that there's a, there's a specific term for it, but yeah, like like an opening act. Uh, um, the dark elves and skinks that, that do that, and they also make a part of this war band. And uh, okay. yeah, that's uh, that's something silly and and fun, and uh, I think maybe you should just play more time. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> that's maybe that's what I'm missing. Yeah, I still haven't played more time, and I and I everyone loves more time. Like I can't, I can't get over how much just admiration there is for that game. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a great failing of mine, honestly, that I've I've not played it to this point. But I'm gonna have to do that at some point. I I hear you on the the um the warband thing for more time though because I, I have on several occasions planned on playing more time, <laughs> so I, I've been looking you know I've looked through the the various uh, fan made and, and official lists and everything. I think my favorite, and it might be a fan made or it might have been in one of the town criers or something. It was a kind of just like mutant dregs warband it was just like it was basic humans but like a little worse but you could like they you would get like little random like mutations and things right like it was just it was kind of to represent like the the poor and like like you know the 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 poor and the desperate in cities like Prague or Musalon right like those kind of like corrupted places and and people who might live in like the sewers or something and it was just 
you know, it was, it, it spoke to me as like the most Mordheim, right? Because it was yeah. just like, no, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing good here. There's nothing glamorous here, right? These aren't your elves. These aren't your like dwarf treasure hunters or anything cool like that. Like, this is just like a bunch of people. They might, maybe they're cannibals, who even knows, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and they're just, they're just desperate and they're just hungry and they're just trying to make a living in this, this awful environment. So if I ever did Mordheim, I think that's what I would do and probably lose all my games, but it wouldn't matter because <laughs> I would love them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe we should do a Mordheim episode now. We should, we should, should be a Nathan Learns Mordheim is what it should be because <laughs> uh, I it's it's wild that just my life has conspired to, to keep me from playing that game. But uh you know what? Honestly, though, one of the things that was a, always an issue with Mordheim that I think maybe Lord of the Rings does a little bit better is as far as strategy or skirmish games go, is that Mordheim to, to get the full Mordheim experience, the amount of terrain yes. you need is intimidating. Whereas like Lord of the Rings is just like, oh, I got some sweet ruins. I got some trees. I got some shrubs. You know, it's very much that fantasy setting. Yes. Yeah. You know, green fields type of uh, of, of war game. More time, I I love the aesthetic, and uh, uh, Jesse uh, from from the orchard uh, here has made the most beautiful Mordheim board I've ever seen. The the man is a, is an absolute genius when it comes to building terrain, and I I look at it and I just like it. It makes me anxious to think about like having to ever build something like that <laughs> myself to play the game. Um, yeah, but I suppose, uh... you know what, it's not too bad nowadays with, with 3D printing terrain and, and like you can get pop up and, and card stock and stuff, right? You can, you can, you can do, do it. it. You I, can do it just... definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's uh, just putting in that effort, right? I agree. And, and um, also on Instagram, sometimes you see those lovely more time boards uh, with uh, where you have uh, most, most more time boards are like uh, uh, four foot by four foot, I believe. <laughs> Uh, maybe even less, maybe even two by two. But then you, then you have the the board in in four uh, four square sections, and that's going to be your base. And all of those sections are of a different height to begin with, and some are separated by like a, uh, a, a green gloopy river, and you've got bridges, and then that's just the board itself, and it all builds up from there. And uh, just the the amount of vertical movement that you can have on those boards. Yeah. That's something that's, uh, uh, it is a little bit intimidating to, to build it. I would love to own a, a more time board like that at some point, but mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, I think I'd love to do that as a group project. Oh, right. If you had nice. like a group yeah. space and, and like you just get together like once every little while and like build stuff for the board and, and like discuss how you want to do everything. Yeah. I, I love I love building like scenery and little worlds and stuff. I, old Nathan is 100 percent going to be a man with like a very elaborate train set. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't I haven't graduated yet. I still have to go through my uh, historicals phase first before I get to model <laughs> trains, but it, it, it's coming. And, and, and so are I those totally model trains it. then also going to be adapted and full of space orcs? <laughs> Painted red because then they go faster? Like if, if you want to get out of my head, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, actually, my absolute dream for a, uh, a, a train 
display is to have something that on at first blush looks super normal, right? Like kind of like your, your classic, like fifties era inspired, you know, like idyllic little like towns and stuff that the train goes through. But then as like someone like looks at it closer and closer, there's just like little things that are off and like, you just like, you look in one of the lakes and there's like a little tentacle coming out. Or if you, you look behind, like, or you look in the woods and you're like, what are those like little, like, like standing men in the woods? Like, why do they look so sinister? Right. I want something, I want to build something <laughs> like that. Something that looks very normal oh, that would at be, first. And then just, yeah. 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 The more you look at it, the more wrong it gets. Remi so reminds favorite. me of that. Uh, maybe, you know, it There's this picture with some Disney princesses and at first glance, it looks normal. And then you start to look and it's like, why does Snow White have three elbows? And wh wait, where does that hand go? Where does it come from? And oh no, those legs are way too short. And <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen that. I'm gonna have to look. Oh, for it now. yeah, that I'll, sounds I'll, disturbing. I'll send it to you. It's very disturbing. <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you will wonderful. have nightmares. You can you can never you can never watch a Disney never movie again. It. Oh no. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I I think we've done a pretty good job here, GJ. I have run out of questions for us. And I, I feel like if we've, we've gotten onto my, uh, my dream train setup, we've probably, uh, <laughs> we have probably discussed this one uh, far enough for an episode. Well, maybe uh, I can put a question before you, if we still have yes, time. Yes, please do. Um, it's, it's going to be a two part question. And uh, the first part of the question is which setting do you prefer and of course, why is that? And the second part of that question is if you were teleported to either the Warhammer world or Middle Earth, uh, where would you like to go? And then you can pick any location at any time. Okay. Okay. So these are... Okay. So these, these questions both kind of go to my heart a little bit because both of these settings are really important i think for for my development as a, as a person and as a hobbyist and just kind of setting things that i like so i i encountered the hobbit first uh, i actually had a vhs copy of the 1977 animated movie of the hobbit and this was i don't know if this was a british production or if it was just like all of the uh, voice actors were British because I mean, it's a fantasy world. So what are you going to do? But it was, it was a great, great adaptation of the Hobbit. And so I, I remember watching that. I watched it a ton as a kid. I, I still, I find it every now and again uh, on the internet and I'll watch it because I love it so much, but that was kind of my first real exposure to that. And, and then of course the, the book, the Hobbit, which I feel like my grandfather might have read to me or my mom might have read to me as a, as a child. So The Hobbit was very much more so than The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings really didn't come into my uh, kind of world until the movies, at which point I, I went and I, I read the books and I got really, really into it, as you do, because those movies were incredible. But so so for me, Middle Earth still kind of revolves around around the hobbit maybe more so than lord of the rings which is weird but that it's, it's so important to me but then warhammer warhammer 
is a lot of like what I have spent my life thinking about and talking about it and doing and playing. I, I think to choose between the two, it would have to be Warhammer purely on a time spent basis. But of course, there's no Warhammer without Lord of the Rings. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a hard one for me. I will go with Warhammer because, yeah, just time spent and and amount of my brain space that has been devoted to obscure editions and rules and, and the characters, right? Like as much as I love Lord of the Rings, there's no Heinrich Kemmler in Lord of the Rings. Like how <laughs> I mean, obviously that that is its greatest failing. Um so yeah, I'll go Warhammer, but yeah. Honestly, I love them both. I really love them both so much. I, I, uh, I of course, I've been thinking about this question as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, I agree with you. It's, this is just uh, maybe too hard to choose and just very mean of me to put this out before you. <laughs> but I would probably give the same answer. Uh, I mean, Lord of Rings, it has been uh, very influential in my whole development um, I read Lord of the Rings first before I read The Hobbit and I read Lord of the Rings in Dutch and then uh, this was in, in like year two or three maybe no I was already playing Warhammer so this was like year year three I guess of my uh, of my high school um, which is like when you're f 15. I don't know how to translate to the uh, Canadian or, or whatever government system, uh, school system that you're uh, that you're currently uh, um, in or out of. But I first read Lord of the Rings in Dutch, and then I wanted to read The Hobbit, but the library did not have any Dutch copies of The Hobbit anymore. That they were all loaned out, so. I then thought, oh, well, I just go uh, grab the English one. So The Hobbit was basically the first, um, I think it was was the first, like, real book, apart from some, some actual children's books with pictures, that I completely read in English. And um, from that point on, I... I didn't really switch back. I, I kept reading English when the books were written in English. Uh, so that's that's also a just for for my for my personal life and for my personal development that has played a major role in that. Uh, that I just liked the book uh, and and the fantasy genre in general enough to read them all in English. Um. But I also would have to say Warhammer just for the sheer amount of, of, of time and energy I spent on the hobby and, and also uh, the part of the hobby that occupies my mind. Uh, I think if you... Uh, uh, I, I don't even want to know if, if you have... yeah You have those diagrams with a, like a cross-section of a brain where different sections are devoted to different... Uh, different areas and uh, I think the the part that would have Warhammer written all over it is probably larger than I would care to admit uh, maybe not to myself but definitely to my wife yeah 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 I, I feel like I, I know that somehow <laughs> like, I, like I, somehow I can empathize with that I'm not not sure why but no, no, no. I, can, <laughs> I can empathize let's just say that great minds yeah. think alike 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about the second <laughs> part of the question? Where would you like to live? So that's a great question. Lord of the Rings has honestly a lot more attractive real estate than uh, Warhammer Fantasy does. I really, it, 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 I, I would want to travel a lot, right? Because you, you want to see Minas Tirith, you want to see, uh, like the the. Um, like Edoras and, and, and Helm's Deep and stuff, right? You, 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 you would get there and you'd immediately want to go and see all of these, these places. But as far as, as kind of livability goes, I kind of, I kind of want to live somewhere in the vicinity of the Shire and maybe, maybe kind of towards the Grey Havens, like in, in that area or, or Bree or something. Because, I mean, you've got this idyllic landscape. You're far away as you can probably get from some of the, the nastiest parts of Middle-earth, whether that's, you know, Moria, Mirkwood, or Mordor. And I just think that maybe life there would be a little bit more pleasant uh, for a human uh, than, than in, in a lot of other places. But it would still be gorgeous and... You know, there, there's still there's still magic. There's still, you know, you could you could yeah maybe visit the Grey Havens, visit uh, look for Tom Bombadil, fun guy right there. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that's where I would go. But I mean, honestly, it would get the better of me at some point, and I would go on some stupid adventure to go see you know Gondor or, or see Rohan, and I would get eaten by orcs. Like that's that's how it would happen. But uh, yeah, if I was if I was smart, I think that's where I would I would settle down. What about you? Um, I I would also choose uh, Middle Earth, and basically because for something that we discussed earlier, <laughs> uh, everything in the Warhammer world is out to get you. Yeah. And I think that uh, the place that I would like to dwell most would be Rivendell. And oh, the yeah. reason for that is, and I'm, I've, I've got a PDF of the Hobbit in front of me. I'm trying to look up where it says that. Um, but it has this, this quote about Rivendell where I, I think maybe Gandalf gives it. It's like um, if you, uh, no, no matter what you like to do, you can you can do it. If you like to uh, if you like to feast, then there's feasts. If you like music, then there's music. If you like uh, art, there's art, uh, poetry. So it's basically it's just like this sort of almost. Um, heavenly description or this an unearthly description of what it is to live with the elves uh there's no no rush no pressure uh you've got all the time in the world to paint your miniatures and to play <laughs> games and uh, you don't have to worry about uh, things like uh, bills and wages and uh, yeah that's um uh, the way it was described, I, I can't find the quote. I would have loved to have read it out here, but uh, um, the way it's described in in that short passage in The Hobbit, that uh, that always gets to me when I read it. It's like, yeah, that's uh, uh, that's what I want my home to be. 
That's fair. That's really fair. I, you could do a lot worse than Rivendell. I just assumed that they wouldn't let my dopey butt in. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was just like, where do humans live? Like, where, where can I go? Rivendell, of course, a uh, very, very strong choice. Yeah, that would be absolutely incredible. Would you... Here's the thing, though. You're, you're going to be living amongst kind of physically perfect immortal beings. Is that going to get to you after a while? Because I feel like it would get to me after a while, right? Like just being like, oh, hey, there's another gray hair, but oh, hey, there's thousand year old Hugo weaving Ganda or uh, Elrond, <laughs> Elrond who is yeah. just like, hey, I'm just I'm just chilling. I look the same as I did 3000 years ago. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that would get to me. It's probably, uh, probably not considering like you'd just be too busy feasting and like having a great time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the elves in the Hobbit are described as like really um, uh, hospitable. So, hmm. yeah, they they would probably try their best to not make you feel bad about uh, yeah. getting all aged and gray and wrinkly. Yeah. yeah. So just, uh, yeah, just don't look too much like a dwarf because then they absolutely will. <laughs> then they will make fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah e- even even to the dwarfs, the, there's extended. They were still very, uh, very hospitable. Yeah. hospitable. Yeah. yeah. No, it was great questions. Great questions. Yeah. Yeah, that. I don't know how you you live in Middle Earth though, especially if you got transported as as yourself, right? And then you're you're not immediately just like I have to see all of the places. <laughs> yeah. I need to. I need to go. I need to go on a great journey right now. <laughs> <laughs> It would be so tempting. Yeah. Yes, that uh, that is definitely something that I would do too, but maybe from uh, Rivendell as a home base. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the Warhammer world, you're just like, how can I stay as far as, far away from everything as possible? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do not, I do not want to go see the World's Edge Mountains. <laughs> I, I do, you know, I, I don't want to see the new world at all. Not one bit no, of it. Scary place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Black Pyramid of Nagash. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, going to be something yeah. uh, for the last thing you see. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> like, it'll be incredible for like the five minutes you're alive. Yeah. Before, you know, something horrible happens to you. The, I think if, if we had to, you know, if you were transported to the Warhammer world, the best place you could possibly be transported is maybe like Tali or Astalia. Like... I've been thinking One about of those, those places, yeah. right? Like, because you're you're as far as you can get from, you know, uh, the the chaos wastes and and still be in like a human civilization, yeah. and it's you know it's sunny, it's warm. They, like Talians always, they're always written like they're they're kind of they've got more joie de vie than people in the Empire or Britonia, right? Like, yeah, it seemed like they're just a little bit happier. <laughs> And I don't know if it's about the, the joie part or the, the vivre part, but maybe uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe both. <laughs> maybe both. Yeah. Also, uh, Cathay might not be too bad of a choice mm-hmm. the way it's described in the new Old World releases that we have seen so far. Yeah. You've got this nice yeah. big wall between you and the Chaos Wastes and uh, an immortal uh, dragon empire that uh, rules over you. Uh, probably from birth you are assigned your place in society, uh, be it in the army or or in mm. the in the fields, uh, in the rice paddies. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that like as a as a person 
living today, you're just like, oh, like that, that, you know, like no freedom, no, you know, no freedom of movement or anything like that. But in the Warhammer world, yeah, that is actually quite good, right? Like that will be your, a very your chances good of getting scenario, yeah, yeah, eaten, chopped up, or sacrificed to something is, is is about as low as it as it gets there. Yeah, 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 yeah. With my luck, it's just like I would just be like, I would be immediately transported, and then they'd be like, "Hey, welcome to the Border Princes," and I'd just be like, "Nice, <laughs> glad to be here." My luck would be either Dragwald Forest or uh, <laughs> some somewhere in the heart of the chaos wastes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wait, welcome to Nagrand. We have such yeah. sights to show you. Yeah, such as the inside uh, of our dungeons. Yeah, yeah. What's your, what's your pain preferred for the rest of your life? Of torture. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're putting that question out here before me now, or? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. I think I think we have done wondrous things on this podcast, DJ. I think it's about time we we wrapped this episode yes, up. Yes, yes. I think uh, yeah. that would be the best, uh, <laughs> if not for our sanity, then for our listeners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening to this one. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.